Oh, yes, don't I hate to see that evening sun go down. St. Louis Blues, Bessie Smith with the inimitable Louis Armstrong, 1925. Both of them at the beginning of, uh, of their recording careers, though by 1929 when Bessie Smith reprises the song for a film role, she's very near the end of her career. She makes a few more sides for the OK label in 1933, and she's basically gone and forgotten. In 1925, that tradition of classic female blues uh, that she became the empress of uh, was what defined the blues in American music. That song has a special spot in the blues canon. It was the first blues song written out or written down or transcribed or however you want to say that, but W.C. Handy uh, wrote it in 1914, and it was distributed as sheet music, sold as sheet music, and it became somewhat of a pop song. It's really hard to imagine how uh, somebody who had never heard the blues might have approached the phrasing or the or the feel of that song. Um, buying sheet music through a mail-order catalog or however they came across it. The recording has everything that's uh, great about the blues of that time period. It's an ensemble song where Louis Armstrong's coronet is as much a part of the song as Bessie Smith's voice. It has collective improvisation where Fred Longshaw, the piano player, uh, her piano player, is playing a reed organ, which sounds kind of creepy and creaky and, and old-timey. Uh, he's engaging both the vocal line and the coronet line and voicing chords based on how they articulate their lines. It's call and response where, where she's in a direct conversation with Louis Armstrong. They are perhaps competing for our attention, but really what they're doing is they're, is they're highlighting that interplay between female and male voices that's repeated in the imagery of the song. You know, I hate to see that evening sun go down. My man's got a heart like a rock cast in the sea. Feeling tomorrow like I feel today. All images of displacement or of, 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 of space between the lover and the beloved and that interplay on the instrumentation sort of like sustains that conversation across that distance in a, in a beautiful way. It's wonderful. Song's Bridge breaks with the 12-bar straight blues pattern and it plays a little bit of a kind of a Spanish-feeling rhythm. It has a little bit of what the great New Orleans piano player, early jazz figure, Jelly Roll Morton, called the Spanish tinge, which he asserted was essential to, uh, to jazz. How we got from there, as definitive of the blues, to... Uh, Eric Clapton playing the same three licks on a distorted Stratocaster is uh, uh, an understandable and fairly straightforward, but uh, uh, but a kind of a problematic story. Tom Waits famously said about the blues, 
that the blues is like a planet. It's an enormous topic. And yet it seems that we've distilled it down to some really basic principles that are pretty repetitive, that are designed uh, to show off virtuosity of a particular kind and unsubtlety of a particular kind. Now, there's room for it. I don't mean to be cruel, but I think that uh, and, and I don't dislike that music necessarily. I'm guilty of playing it myself occasionally. But but there's far more to the blues than just providing um, a background for guys, and it's mostly guys, who can't find their way through the changes of Honeysuckle Rose to uh, solo over. I think, you know, the single guitar figure like Robert Johnson the great Delta Blues singer who died in 1937, the same year as Bessie Smith, but his star continued to rise and he became the template of the modern blues man for guitar players and particularly for the British guitar players of the 60s that came to sort of like define quote-unquote modern blues. Um, became the dominant model and in a way, has sort of played itself out. And there was always interest in other blues singers, and there were always great female blues singers around. Um, but there's been some interest in recovering this earlier tradition, and I'm interested in doing some of that work right now in the podcast. And there's a generation of black feminist scholars um, and singers who um, are interested in this early tradition and connecting to those roots. And I would say that if you're interested in listening uh, to some direct descendants of it, you might listen to Shamika Copeland, a great young blues singer, and Brittany Howard um, of the Alabama Shakes and also on her own. And they often draw their more direct inspiration to um, a generation before them and there are other figures along the way, but they're continuing this tradition and they um, exist in a pretty straight line. Uh, in a tradition with Bessie Smith. When we think about this tradition, you know, the people who are really engaged in it would probably want to split hairs over minor uh, distinctions. And uh, But the two figures that are in the center of it, undoubtedly, um, are Bessie Smith and Ma Rainey. Uh, you know, and I'm not that interested in establishing them in any kind of hierarchical relationship but they're two very interesting figures. And they've been the subject of two recent and very interesting films that I think are a great place to start if you're interested in understanding this uh, genre of early blues. The 2015 HBO film Bessie stars uh, Queen Latifah as Bessie Smith, and she's wonderful in it. If you if you remember Queen Latifah from all her, you know, films in the 90s or whatever she represents to you, um, you know, she might really open your eyes to what a, a powerful actor of tremendous range and depth that she actually is um, in this film. And then Ma Rainey, uh, who, who uh, you know, had a, a kind of interesting rivalry with Bessie Smith, is played by by the actress Monique, 
the comedian, I guess she is. I don't know if you know Monique. She's in the tradition of Lawanda Page, who probably requires me to click the explicit content button on my podcast just by uh, mentioning her name. And who uh, played Aunt Esther on Sanford and Sons in the 70s. She's one of the most foul-mouthed and uh, and salacious comedians I've ever heard. And she is just so funny. And she kind of steals the show a little bit, frankly. But anyway, uh, Queen Latifah is amazing in it. And it's a really great film. It has a kind of epic sweep that really constellates a world around the film. It talks about the kind of colorism and classism that um, a figure like Bessie Smith uh, uh, has to deal with within the black community. For instance, there's a scene where uh, some women are trying out for, uh, for a show, a theater, and they have to pass a brown bag test. The director, casting agent, or whatever would hold up a brown bag and the woman's face had to be lighter than the brown bag if she was going to be in the show. Really, uh, it shows the way that dark-skinned African-Americans like Bessie Smith, and like Louis Armstrong for that matter, really faced uh, a lot of opposition, a lot of stereotyping, a lot of hurdles to overcome, uh, even within the black community, even within the community of black performers and artists that they existed within. But of course, the intercultural racism parts of it are nothing like the extracultural racism. There's a, a great scene in it, which is actually a, a point of historical fact to um, the KKK attacks the tent that Bessie's given her show in, and she marches outside wearing her a feather dress, like a, you know, like a flapper dress from the 20s or whatever, and she marches outside to do battle with the KKK and drives them off to the cheers and applause of all of the people uh, inside of the tent. It's really a, a, a sort of sweeping and wonderful movie, and, and, I, and I really, really recommend it as a, as a starting point of understanding the world that this classic blues exists within. The film also provides a really good starting point and context for uh, the new uh, Netflix movie from the August Wilson play, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. It, it is the August Wilson play. It's pretty, it, it fairly closely follows the play. Um, the central tension in the play and film is that Ma Rainey is in Chicago in a recording studio late in her career, which also kind of, you know, ended around 1929. She's got a record industry that's changing. They want her to do some upbeat stuff. She wants to do the kind of slow drag blues that she's been doing. Her trumpet player, Levy, who's played by the late Chadwick Boseman, uh, writes a song and then has it basically stolen from him to be re-recorded by white musicians. But Ma Rainey understands that her worth in the South in this tent show, like we see Bessie Smith in when she's attacked by the Ku Klux Klan, 
is enormous. And the gap between being bona fide royalty in black communities in the South and being treated like a temporary and fading commodity in the white recording studio in the industrial North is the central tension in the film. Uh, and, and I would argue, though, that the film does uh, uh, not as good a job as it could of contextualizing that, uh, unfortunately. And I think that maybe watching uh, Bessie first might give you a little bit more insight into what that looks like. It's a common situation for black performers of the time, right? Louis Armstrong was put into all kinds of, I don't know, uh, all kinds of situations that didn't necessarily feature him in the light that most people see him now, which is as the most important musician of his, at least his generation, but perhaps the most important American musician ever. And yet he's still subject to various kinds of stereotyping and and negotiations he had to make with a with a white audience and with a fickle record buying uh, you know public. I still think Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is well worth watching, um, but I'm ambivalent about it because you know Viola Davis is in it. I don't know if you know Viola Davis. She's a uh, uh, famous right now, I guess, for having been in fences with Denzel Washington a few years ago. Denzel Washington is is committed to bringing out, um, in one form or another, all of these August Wilson Pittsburgh plays. There are 10 of them. And uh, Fences, he starred and directed in. And I think that Fences does a better job of negotiating the tension between trying to be a film and trying to function as a stage play. And Viola Davis in it is amazing. I can't think of an actor of her generation who's better. I mean, th there's a scene in the film that if you know what I'm going to say, if you've already seen it, and I don't think it ruins it if you haven't, but she's standing there fighting with the Denzel Washington character, Troy. She's justifiably very, very upset She's crying. She's got this ball of snot out on her cheek. And she will not wipe it off. And she will not break the tension of the scene for anything. And it's so powerful and so amazing. It's one of the most amazing acting performances I've literally ever seen in my life. Uh, it feels like uh, you're not supposed to watch it. It feels like it's, uh, it feels like it's the end of a real-life relationship. Uh, and anyway, she's amazing, and I don't know if the film brings that out as much as I'd like to see it, the, the new film, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But it's still definitely very worth watching, and I think that, that um, it still provides an interesting piece of the puzzle in understanding the real profound significance of these classic female blues singers from the early 1920s. You know, it's funny when I talk about stuff like this and I and I talk about trying to restore people to their rightful position, my students ask me sometimes, I, I guilelessly, I think naively, like, why do you care? And and I don't I'm not just a 
fairness Nazi, I don't think. I mean, when, when it existed, it's interesting, it happened, and so it should exist. Um, but I also think that it's important that people shouldn't have to fight these fights over and over and over again. In a way, you know, um, when I look at somebody like Brittany Howard, who I admire right now, she's had to fight a lot of the fights that someone like Ma Rainey or Bessie Smith had to fight in her time. And yet, she fits so squarely within a tradition that's so well established. And if we just back up through time and we have people like Big Mama Thornton and we have people like Sister Rosetta Thorpe and we have, you know, Ma Rainey and uh, Bessie Smith, it's a tradition and seeing the whole tradition lifts up every point along the way. And I think that that's important. And just as important, you know, maybe on the, I guess what you would call the selfish end of this, is that there are still less explored regions of this blues planet that Tom Waits is talking about, and there's a lot more to go to and find for inspiration and for new sources of, of growth and creativity. And I guess ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, we're all looking for art that inspires, moves, and lifts us up. And uh, not only, you know, I, I don't listen to this music just for a history lesson, I guess. I guess I'm, you know, I'm an academic and I, and I can't help myself but researching the history of it. But I listen to it because it brings me joy. And this stuff has joy in it. It has beauty in it. It does all of the great things you want art to do for you. So anyway, check out Bessie Smith and Ma Rainey and maybe watch these films uh, as a starting point and they will lead you to a whole world of classic blues singers from early in the 20th century that are still, I think you will find, surprisingly new sounding and surprisingly relevant. And if you've been involved in this uh, music in the past, maybe go revisit it and... Uh, See where that leads you. Anyway, thanks, friends. I'll see you next week. I appreciate you taking the time.